Today we're going to continue uh, in our sermon series called A Masterpiece in Progress. Uh, I'll be coming from Ephesians. I'm in chapter 5 today. I'm in Ephesians 5 and we're going to be starting in verse 3. So Ephesians 5 verses 3 through 20 today. Uh, I've titled today's sermon, Not Even a Hint. Not Even a Hint. Let me read. Verses 3 through 20, I'll read them in the New Living Translation. Again, I like to read this one out loud because I think sometimes it's a little easier language to understand. I often study, if anybody's curious, I often study in the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, and the New International Version. All of them are great. Sometimes the New Living Translation says things in a way that we can understand them a little bit more simply, but all of them have their goods and bads. Chapter 5, verse 3 from Ephesians starts out this way. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure... That no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Now don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness... But now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Walter Brueggemann, in a book that he has written called The Prophetic Imagination, writes this. The contemporary American church is so largely enculturated to the American ethos of consumerism that it has little power to believe or to act. This enculturation is in some way true across the spectrum of church life both liberal and conservative. It may not be a new situation, 
but it is one that seems especially urgent and pressing at this present time. That enculturation is true not only of the institution of the church, but also of us as persons. Our consciousness has been claimed by false fields of perception and idolatrous systems of language and rhetoric. The internal cause of such enculturation is our loss of identity through the abandonment of the faith tradition. He would go on a few paragraphs later to say this. The church will not have power to act or believe until it recovers its tradition of faith and permits that tradition to be the primal way out of enculturation. I have found Walter Brueggemann hard to read. You might find that a little hard to follow. Um, He is a deep thinker and a thoughtful writer, very deep. What is he saying in those words? He is saying that the church has lost its way. The church has been corrupted or co-opted in many cases by the culture that we live in. In some cases now, we don't even look any different than the world. And what did I tell you last week? I said that you and I, we are the church. We, you and I, set the spiritual temperature for where this church will actually go. And so when you and I are living by the cultural norms, when we're being co-opted by the culture, we no longer have a witness in the world. And that's what this whole book, his premise is, is that in order to recapture any sense of prophetic imagination, in order to recapture any sense of the church having something to say in a world that is hurting and lost and all of those things that we talked about last week, in order to have a sense of where we can go, you and I need to be set apart. We need to be different. We need to be called out. And that is what we have been talking about over the last couple of weeks as we're working our way through Ephesians 4 and into 5 now. And let me just review anybody that hasn't been here for all of that. I'll just review a few of our thoughts over the last few weeks. One is when we choose to believe, we choose to leave our old ways behind and we choose to cleave to that which is new in Christ. We have to let go of some stuff. We have to take hold of some new stuff. That's the big picture that we're talking about here through these chapters. We talked about in these verses from chapter 4, verse 1 to 520, 521, we are one people with one purpose, one people united in Christ. That is our calling as a church and as people. We are united in Christ with one purpose, that is to be set apart and holy. And last week we were in chapter 4, verse 17, and we worked our way through 5, 3. Now we're in 5, 3 through 20. But we're still working on this idea of being set apart, to be holy, to be different, to not succumb to the culture so that we have something to say to the culture so that we can be God's instruments of change in people's hearts and people's lives. 
We talked over the last couple of weeks about how diversity, the diversity that we live with in the community that we are as church and in our community, but the, the diversity leads to maturity. If we all look alike, if we all sound alike, if we all speak alike, if we all think alike, then we're not growing in all the ways that we could grow. And so we embrace our diversity. That's one of our core values as a church is we embrace our diversity. We love our diversity, and I can tell you, it challenges us. It's hard. Diversity is hard because we all come from different backgrounds, different perspectives, and diversity is hard, but diversity is what leads us to maturity. It takes us out of that basic realm of of thinking we know what we got and, and how to live it, and we move into this realm of, oh, I didn't think about it that way before, and oh, let me potentially change the way I have to think and relate to the world, and all of that's good. So diversity leads to maturity. And then last week we talked about spiritually mature communities. So if diversity leads to maturity, spiritually mature communities require spiritually mature people. And that's what we were talking about last week. Now this one purpose to be set apart, to be holy, we are to be spiritually mature people. And I want to pick up on that theme In some ways, verses 3 through 20 of chapter 5 are just kind of rehashing a little bit of the previous chapter. So we're going to kind of rehash a little bit of that. But I wanted to put it in this context of our goal as a church. And I'm going to leave this thought up here while we're working our way through this. Holy people live by a higher standard. Holy people live by a higher standard. That is, I think, the essence of... Of what Paul is trying to convey as he is working his way through these particular verses here. What does it mean? What, is, what does it look like to be set apart, to be holy? And what difference does it make? We as a church want to be set apart. We want to be prophetic. Some of you have a real desire to see revival come to our church. Some of you have a real desire for this church to make an impact in the world. And and it starts by making an impact in our own lives. By transforming what happens inside of us so that it then translates out into the world. And we'll talk about this in a couple of minutes. But this idea of we are the light I want to plant a seed for you right now as we get to that phrase in a few minutes. Notice in the scripture, it doesn't say you are in the light. It says you are the light. That's a powerful differential. We don't just walk around living in the light of Christ. We walk around with the light of Christ in us. We are that light and we are to make that difference. But if the culture is doing too much to change who we are as individuals, if the culture is watering down our beliefs and the way we live and how we think, then we are not able to be the light that the world needs us to be. So prophetically, we need to recapture who Christ is and who he's called us to be and what that looks like as we live that out in the world that we find ourselves in. So we're just going to take a couple of minutes to walk through what that looks like in these particular verses. I'd like to draw your attention to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 emphasizes similar idea. And in 13, verse 14, it says this. Instead, 
clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. What does Paul say here in Ephesians? Don't even let there be a hint of anything immoral, sexually, impure, greed, anything related to that. Not even a hint. Another translation of the Romans passage would be, make no provision for your flesh. Make no provision for your flesh. Every time I have read that verse, I look at it and I'm like, what? What? No provision for my flesh. What does that really look like? Because I don't see anybody around me in the world who is living quite that extreme. I'd have to go all the way back or maybe we could look at some monks or we could go all the way back to the desert fathers who lived and went out into the desert for days and days and days just to get themselves away from anything. And even while they were out there, they found that they didn't outrun anything because what was going on was inside of themselves. What do we wrestle with? We certainly wrestle with not flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of darkness. We're going to learn about that in Ephesians chapter 6. But what's going on inside of us, we can't outrun. We have to deal with what's inside of us. And we deal with it by making no provision for those inclinations, for those desires, for those things that are warring inside of us. We make no provisions. Let there not even be a hint of sexual Immorality. That is a broad term. Some of you know it as fornication, sexual immorality. Let's just talk briefly. What does sexual immorality actually look like or consist of or whatever? Right? Let's go all the way back to Genesis. What did God intend? God created a human being. Note, I want you to be very clear that he did not create a man first. He created a human being. If you understand the Hebrew in that sense, he did not create man first. He created human beings. And then, as he looked upon all of his creation, he said, that human being doesn't really have a companion. They're kind of all alone. And yes, they're with me, and that's a wonderful relationship, but I don't want that human being to be alone. And so... He then created gender. And he took a part of that human being and he made another human being. And the one was called a man and the other was called a woman. And the two were to be one because they were originally one. But they manifested themselves in two different ways. And God said that they would come together. And interestingly enough, it says a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Later on, that kind of got turned around to where a woman leaves the home. That's kind of the cultural piece of that. The woman was the one culturally it was always taken out of the home and given to the man. But God originally said, no, the man would leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And they were to become one flesh. And it was in the context of that one flesh union that sexuality became a reality. That was how it was designed. That's what God intended. And it was always intended to be that way. Anything that has happened ever since is a perversion of what God originally intended. So when he says, let there not be a hint of sexual immorality, he's saying anything that goes against the original intent and design of what I created 
The vast majority of what we deal with in this culture today is the illicit sexuality. It's the, it's the allure, it's the draw, it's the, the lust and the temptation that perverts what God intended sexuality to be. Sexuality is a beautiful thing. And in the context, in the right context, it is mutually fulfilling and satisfying and loving and it is a beautiful thing. But immorality, anything that goes against that design is against what God wants for his people and it's what draws us away from being the pure people that he has called us to be, the set-apart people. And so many of us are struggling under the bondage and the weight of addictions to immoral sexual relationships or immoral sexual exploits, things that we try to see on the internet and different things that we do and it's wrong and it's taking us away and we are to make no provision for it. There is not to be a hint of it among us as people. And all the rest of those words, the the sexual immorality, the impurity, the greed, the That sense that I'm entitled to something sexually. The the sense that I can consume things. That I can look at something and it's for my own pleasure. I can look at it because it feeds me. That is evil and wrong. And we're not to have a hint of it. There is not to be any of that among us. It's a little bit of a side note, but you know, when we talk about this, we talk about God's original design. Sometimes those who aren't in a relationship, sometimes those who are single feel like, well, where do I fit? Because I'm not even in a relationship and what do I do and how do I fulfill my needs and all of those sorts of things. I want you to know today, if you are single, God loves you too. Sexuality is not, a sexual relationship is not the end goal for you. It's not the end goal for any of us. A fulfilling relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the end goal for all of us. And you can be in a relationship and active sexually, or you can be single and celibate and enjoy life. Sexuality is not your end goal. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Enjoy who God has made you to be. Enjoy the place that he has put you in this life. And we celebrate all of that. Amen? Not even a hint of sexual immorality. If that is a story, a struggle that you are going through, or somebody that you know is going through, read those verses a little bit later. Expose it. Bring it out. Deal with it. Don't live in darkness. Don't talk about the shameful things. Don't, don't not talk about the shameful things that are done in darkness. We need to bring that light to bear and people need to be freed from the bondage of sexual addiction. There's not even to be a hint of it. That's part of what this leaving the old ways behind is all about renouncing the things that we used to think were normal, renouncing the things that we used to think were right, renouncing all of that because I now see Jesus Christ. I am making no provision for the flesh, but Jesus Christ in me, and that is how I'm going to live my entire life. Coarse joking, talking, rude comments, 
all of that kind of stuff. And he goes on to say in verses 5 and 6 and 7, he goes on to say, don't be deceived because there's a lot of people in the world that are going to tell you some certain things. It's okay. It's okay to do this. God loves you. He's going to, it's okay to live this way. God's going to forgive you. It's okay. It's, it's not a bad thing. Just express yourself. It's okay. Don't listen to them. Do not be deceived, he says. In his day, it was a, a group of people probably known as the Gnostic people. And what they did is, as Gnostics, they would say, well, the body doesn't really matter. It only matters what's in your mind and in your, in your soul. Because that's all that God really cares about is your mind and your soul. He, that's what's going to be in heaven. And the Christians came along and they said, no, it's your soul and your mind and your body. It's a physical experience. Jesus was human. He came to be one with us. And so his humanity is what defines us as Christians as different from the rest of the world. And so in those verses when he says, do not be deceived, they're going to try to lead you astray. Don't be deceived by any of that. In our day and age, it's, it's anybody that would come along and say, just, it's okay. Just express yourself and just be yourself. And no, do not be deceived by them. They will lead you down a path where you can't come back. Those are hard words. Those aren't my words. That's what Paul wrote in Ephesians. Go back and read it. Verses 5 and 6 and 7. Anybody that leads other people astray, God is going to ultimately judge. We don't have to be like that. We have been called out. We have been separated. We are His We are filled with His light and with His love and with His grace and we are called to be set apart to be holy, to be one, to be in community with one another. I wrote down here that too many of us are playing with fire. We've been having a lot of outdoor fires over the last couple of months and we love sitting around a campfire. Last night, Outside, it was a beautiful thing. Uh, our fall festival, we had a fire in the parking lot and lots of different people were driving by and it was, a, it was a beautiful thing to see that fire, but it was hot. It was really hot. You couldn't get too close. In fact, uh, a lot of folks that were roasting marshmallows ended up with black ones because they got a little too close to the fire. It was hot. But that's how some of us are living our lives when it comes to, uh, let me just click on that. That's not a bad, let me just read that. Let me just check that out. Let me just stay up a little bit later than I should because maybe I just need to feed something inside. Make no provision for the flesh. There should not even be a hint of it. It's hard to preach a message like this because sometimes people want to get really specific. Well, tell me exactly what I can do and tell me exactly what I can't do. Anybody there? Like, anybody read those verses? Like, just, just tell me. Tell me. Why can't the Bible be more specific? And I think the reason is because it's, it, you'll make some kind of an excuse for something and what you are to be led by is the Holy Spirit. It's not about a bunch of do's and don'ts. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of things that we shouldn't be doing, but it's about being led by the Holy Spirit, being informed and, and just, it's kind of like letting go 
of everything that stands opposed to Jesus Christ. Don't walk next to the edge of a canyon and figure out how far my foot can stand on the edge. Just leave the canyon. Find a more stable path. Find something where you're not about to fall over the edge. Don't go down there. Don't even make a provision for that. Find something that is stable and safe and live there and follow it. That's Jesus Christ. He's not making life difficult for you. He's saying all of that stuff, it's not good. Don't trust it. Don't believe in it. Don't believe anybody that says that it's good. I have shown you a different way. I've given you a different life to follow. It's called me. I know you. I know what you need. I know what the church needs. I know what all these people need. Follow me and I'll get you there. Just don't even go there. Leave it alone. Walk away from it. Renounce it. And in that moment, just tell the devil to get behind you. Because too often what we're saying is, hmm, we're just, oh, hmm, oh, interesting. You're playing with fire. Don't need to go there. If we read on in these verses here in Ephesians 5, Paul gives us three different reasons why we shouldn't go there. Why do we renounce all of this? Why shouldn't there even be a hint of sexual immorality or greed or impurity or any coarse joking and talking? Why shouldn't there even be a hint of any of that? Number one, I've already said it, is because there will be uh, a judgment day. There will be a judgment day. His love is an invitation to experience his fullness, even if it makes us uncomfortable in this life. That is true. We don't even want to be anywhere near the potential for being judged for evil. He loves you too much. He loves you too much and he's died for you and he's shown you a different way and that love and that grace it it flows out and he says there's just there's a different way there's a follow the path that I have given you trust me trust me the second reason you are now children of light God's light is in you you're different Live as children of the light. John Stott would put it this way in his commentary on Ephesians. He says, living as light is like Christian openness and transparency of living joyfully in the presence of Christ with nothing to hide or fear. I can tell you, it's a beautiful place. And some of you know it. I got nothing to hide. Ask me anything you want. Ask me anything about my life. Ask me anything about what goes on behind closed doors. Ask me. I got nothing to hide. That's a beautiful place to be. Amen? But that's what Christian openness and transparency allows us to do. When we are children of light, when the light shines upon your heart and upon my heart, I can now shine that light to everybody else without fear or trembling. I can tell you who I am and you can take a look and you can decide, is that something I want to follow, be a part of, or is is that just too bright? I hope for all of us here that it is too bright for some people because they have to come to their own 
recognition of what the Lord needs to do in their hearts and in their lives. When you expose darkness, light shines in. Other people become light. That's what the scripture says here. It's not that they come into the light. It's that they become light. When you expose darkness, light shines in and other people will come to the light. That is what we would call salvation. That's what we're called to. We're called to shine the light in dark places so that people can come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and understand the love and the grace and the mercy that has been extended to them. So live as children of the light. And the third thing that he says is live wisely because the days are evil. Evil is all around us. It lurks everywhere. It is trying to get your attention everywhere. Just like Walter Brueggemann said, the church has been captured by the culture. We have been enculturated by all that's around us because we have been unaware of the way the culture is feeding into the church and how we are to be different, how we're to be a prophetic difference. And when we lose our prophetic witness, when we lose our sensitivities of what's going on all around us, then what does Paul say? Is you're, you're, you're not being wise. You're not living with wisdom. Because if you were living with wisdom, you would search out and try to figure out what pleases the Lord. Look at verse 10. Try to figure out what pleases God. Look down a little bit later and he says, search out what the Lord's will is. Try to figure out what the Lord's will is. Dig into it. In the same way, we talked about this as a leadership team yesterday, in the same way you would research anything that you are involved in as a person. Some of you love research. Some of you dig in. You're not going to make a purchase. You're not going to do anything. You're not going to engage in some without figuring out all the details behind it. And Paul is saying, put that same effort into your walk of faith. Search it out. Try to figure out what pleases God. Try to figure out what His will is. It's not like some mystery. I'm just I'm telling you, we can talk about God's will another day. It's not a mystery. But seek it out. Search it out. Because the days are evil. That's the world that we live in. We're called to be different. This church wants to be a church of revival. This church wants to be a church where the spiritual temperature is hot, where people walk into this building and they say, whoa, this is different. I haven't experienced this before. I don't know what's going on. That's going to require you and I to have a different relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not even to make provision for our flesh. We are to be set apart and to be holy. That is who we are as Christians. That is what we are called to So let me just review some of the things that Paul says to us in these verses, and then I will close. He says, number one, don't be deceived. In other words, pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Be on your guard. He says, second, find out what pleases the Lord. Seek his will and then do it. Third thing he says is expose darkness. You are the light. Be open. Be transparent. Let the light shine in your heart so that it can shine on others. Fourth thing is live with wisdom, carefully making the most of every opportunity. Jonathan Edwards is said to have prayed a prayer or written down some resolutions, I guess, when he was 20. Jonathan Edwards is a great reformer, revivalist, preacher, preacher. 
70th resolution 70th resolution says I will make the most of every single opportunity. I will not waste the Lord's time And look what the Lord did with his life Don't get drunk fifth thing don't get drunk but be filled with the Holy Spirit which I said here sometimes might look like you're a little drunk that's cool but make sure it's the Holy Spirit and not wine or beer or anything else be filled with the Holy Spirit if you haven't experienced what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit come talk to us talk with the prayer team let us lay hands on you let us pray that you would be filled and anointed with the Holy Spirit be filled with the Holy Spirit it is not some mystical thing it's not something far off that you can't attain it is something that we can all attain in some ways the well in all ways when you are saved the Holy Spirit inhabits you but then there are additional outpourings anointings of his Holy Spirit that come on us at different times in our lives and we continually have to pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us up again and again and again and again because we want to be renewed and renewed and renewed and renewed amen so be filled with the Holy Spirit. Talk to us if that's a struggle. Sing. It's the sixth thing. Sing and make music for yourself and for others. When we were singing this morning. We're not singing for ourselves only. We're singing for this group of people. We're singing to shine the light to other people. We're singing for other people. And we make that songs and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. But it also is lifting us up the whole time. We are pouring out our praise to Jesus Christ. That is the beauty of the relationship that we find ourselves in. We, we sing and we give our praise to the Lord. And then throughout this whole thing, right up in the first couple of verses that we read today and then right at the end, what does he say? Give thanks. Give thanks. Our hearts are to be filled with thanksgiving. That's a wonderful theme to enter into this fall season, right? We enter into November and we enter into a holiday that has the name Thanksgiving. It's easy to do, but, but we're not to wait once a year. Paul says to give thanks all the time. So I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. I know we went a little long today, but we have spent some time in the presence of the Lord, and I'm not going to apologize for that. But I appreciate your patience as we have gone a little long today. But they have a, a closing song for us. And as they're coming forward, I just want to reiterate these thoughts for you. Number one, we want revival. We are praying, your prayer team and the leadership team and your pastors, we are praying for revival in our church and with that that means that we want to be a prophetic voice we want to be different in a culture that is centered on its own pleasures and in a world that is centered on what we can get we must go back to the roots of our faith we must reclaim our emphasis on jesus christ on self-sacrifice on generosity on redeeming every moment for the lord there isn't a moment to waste Young people pay attention because sometimes it can really look like you got a lot ahead of you. And I remember being there and I'm thinking, oh, I can, you know, this day, it's a, it's a gone. I can look to tomorrow and you know what? There's a few too many tomorrows in my past. And some regrets that have gone with those past tomorrows because I haven't taken the steps that I need to take today. So young people pay attention, make the most of every opportunity, and that doesn't just go for young people, right?
We must renounce the ways of the world in favor of the model that is taught by Christ. And I want to reemphasize one last thought. The foundation has already been laid. All that we've talked about today is not going to bring you salvation. It is a reflection of the salvation that has been given to you by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. A foundation that was laid already before the beginning of time. Jesus Christ and Him alone. All we are talking about today is a reflection of what He's done in and through us. And may that be the truth. Amen? I'm going to ask our worship team to simply play one of the two remaining songs, given our time. And we want you to respond however you would respond. We do invite you to to provide tithes, offerings, write in your prayer card, whatever you would see. But they'll close us with one song, and then I'll come back and offer benediction.